0: to admit i did not expect an airplane podcast to start with smooth jazz
1: okay let me explain that really quick so i had a listener thomas ando he wrote and he told me that a jazz musician named jerry Newood, who's a saxophonist and a flautist died in the crash of colgan 3407 which is episode 24 for me you know Why did we come into that, right? Because it struck a chord with me. It reminded me that when we talk about these crazy events, we're talking about not just crazy events in history, that we're talking about real people, right? Musicians, artists, creative minds, not to mention all the parents and children and other humans that may be directly affected or indirectly affected, they matter deeply in the scope of humanity. It just reminded me that it was, you know, real people that are affected by this.
0: More than just a story.
1: Right, it is more than just a story. And when he wrote that, I found it kind of sobering, and I wanted to share a little piece of his music. And if it ever seems like I take it lightly, I do not. Aviation history is very real, and certainly very poignant for me. So that's that's why the jazz. Okay. So I didn't mean to
0: didn't mean to throw me for a loop.
1: You're listening to Inside the Aluminum Tube. This podcast has adult language and sometimes contains graphic descriptions of accidents and incidents often resulting in death. If you're scared to fly, proceed with caution.
0: Sir, are your pants meowing? Yeah, are you interested? Pull up! No, the plane is about to crash.
1: Wind shear. You're looking a little anxious, Kent.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: mm. Increase climb.
0: Only if you really need me to. Threw his clothes off, had an accident, <laughs> got his tree, and went night night.
1: 50, 40. Oh, so
0: like some dumb bro shit. Okay, cool, 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 cool.
1: 30, 20, 10. Clear
0: of conflict.
1: Welcome back to the Aviation History Podcast. Together with my co-host, we are going to look at events in aviation history, like air disasters, accidents, incidents, and mere mishaps, along with the occasional mystery. Aviation history is worth remembering, but it's worth remembering accurately. So I'm here to tell you the story. I'm Shannon Baker. I'm your host. I'm the creator. If you want to see pictures of the events that we talk about or enhance your experience, you should follow me on Instagram, Twitter, both at AluminumTube. You can email me at AluminumTubePodcast.com. At gmail.com. I like to hear ideas and suggestions for episodes, or you can go to aluminumtubepodcast.com. And like I've said before, if you're a Brit, because you put extra syllables in it, <laughs> just go to altubepodcast.com. If you go to that website, you can join my Patreon. You can tip me, you can get decals. You can meet the co-hosts. You can listen to episodes right there all in your browser. Before we get started, I'd like to give a big thanks to JustCast and CastPi.com for making all of my podcasts so easy. If you're a podcaster, you have to get this for your podcast. In just a matter of minutes, you can have a nice landing page like I do. Again, that's not a paid advertisement. I just really like the product of JustCast and So, All right, so let's get to today. Today, we're recording on a boat, and my co-host is going to tell you where we are, and then we'll talk about why we're here. Her name is Callie Duncan. She's never been on the podcast before, so she's gonna tell us where we are, what we're doing here, and we're gonna take some time to get to know her. So Callie, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us all about where we are and why you're here and why, I don't know, why I'm here. Let's let's hear it.
0: First of all, I'd like to indignantly discuss that Australians would also say aluminium. So I don't want the Brits to be the only ones separated out here. There's more people than just the British. Okay. So it's a colony.
1: So for you, it's ALtubePodcast.com. AL.
0: I'm a dual citizen of Canada and Australia. So I identify with both.
1: Gotcha. Yes.
0: Um, No. So we are sitting on my boat and home uh, in the Dominican Republic in an anchorage at the town of Luperon. This is my first ever podcast. And Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thank you so much. You get to break pop the cherry. Awesome. I'm excited to hear the story and I could not be further removed from aviation. So I'm an accountant and solo sailor. who Which is
1: amazing. I, <laughs> I heard you were a solo sailor and I do a lot of stuff with airplanes, and I've done a lot of things in my life. And solo sailing is not something I ever will do, Um, and it's not something that I ever even wanted to do. It it really being open ocean scares me. Yeah, that's something that I'm very not comfortable with, and I'm comfortable with a lot of things. So,
0: and as I said earlier, the irony of this is that I believe there are a lot of flight principles also used in sails to you know with the principles of lift that we have in common
1: absolutely and we also have um lights in common marker lights and a lot of things um, exactly and they call aviation aeronautics
0: and you stick to the air where you can drop like a rock out of the sky and i will stick to the water which what's the fear there i'm not sure
1: you could sink to the bottom let's be honest can you swim I can swim, but not for that long.
0: Okay. (laughs) Copy. (laughs) Copy that.
1: Okay. So we got to know Callie. Are you ready to talk about airplanes, Callie?
0: I'm ready and excited.
1: All right. So here's how the podcast works. I'll tell you about the airplane. I'll tell you about the company. I'll tell you about the event. Then we're going to talk about what changed because of the event, if anything, and how it it is now, how it's different now, if it's different at all sometimes we go down these roads and things haven't changed at all and it's kind of a head scratcher and you go wow that's something that really should have needs to
0: be addressed
1: needs to be addressed but it's not we're going to get to the story we'll kind of dive into it game on we're going to start with the airplane so today we're talking about the boeing 757 very common airplane and i'm going to tell you all about it
0: okay looks
1: like an airliner right okay yeah
0: The only thing I know about Boeing is there was a lot of news around them recently about unsafe planes.
1: Yes. Okay. Um, That's not common of manufacturers to have that sort of trouble. Boeing is a really solid manufacturer. They've been a manufacturer for a really, really long time since the 30s. um, Actually, since the late 20s, they are part of a duopoly. So there's two manufacturers of large transport category airplane in the world.
0: Boeing and? Airbus. Okay.
1: That's a French company. It's a French consortium with some other countries, and Boeing is made in Seattle. Okay. So an American company and a French company, and we pretty much... Own the world. They pretty much own the world. Got it. Okay. It's a Boeing 757. It's a narrow-body airliner narrow body means there's a single aisle down the center
0: i could get on a plane that, that has, has a single aisle a
1: single aisle down the center
0: oh an aisle to walk so seats on each seats side.
1: on both sides but I'm one scared. aisle in the middle yes. right that's a narrow body a wide body would have two aisles yes. and three banks of seats let's say you know seats next to the window seats in the center seats on the edge okay. and two aisles that's called a wide body okay it was designed and built by boeing like we said in seattle Design started in 1978 and the aircraft was certified in 1982. It's a twin jet with the familiar two engine design, one engine under each wing. Okay. Okay. There are other configurations. This is the most common one right now.
0: For a narrow body.
1: Well, for any airliner, right? So okay. there are other designs where the air where the engine is not under the wing. Oh, I thought you were going to say
0: like two engines per wing.
1: Oh, yeah. That would be like a four-engine jet. That's still kind of of the classic design. But this is a twin jet, right? It has one engine under each wing. It's large and heavy. It's designed for medium to long-range passenger flights and freight use. It has a maximum certified takeoff weight right around 250,000 pounds.
0: I just want to address that that much weight can take off of land. That blows my mind. Yeah,
1: it makes it so the two hundred fifty thousand pound makes it the heaviest narrow body in use. But it has it still has a relatively high thrust to weight ratio because the engines are quite large for the amount of weight that it has, it, and it turns it into a really good performer. Okay. It held the U.S. coast to coast speed record for over twenty years until the Boeing seven eighty seven was released, and which then-
0: is a very common plane. Is that correct? The
1: 787 is a wide body and it is new. Well, new as of 2012. Okay. And it is faster.
0: Can I jump in and inquire the meaning of the numbers at the end of Boeing's name? Is there some significance or they just chuck a number and say?
1: They have always used a seven character seven number. Okay. A seven sandwich. Seven sandwich. That is always what it's been forever. And Except for one airplane, which I'm going to cover eventually, which is called the Boeing 720. There is one airplane that that did not end in a seven.
0: We've got a real close passerby. True fans, dingy passed to catch the podcast live. (laughs) Where were we? Uh, The one that wasn't a seven sandwich.
1: Oh, right. There is one. Boeing, that's not a seven sandwich, is the 720. I'm going to cover that later in the podcast. But as of now, every number has been taken except 797. So, so there are, are
0: fans of Boeing eagerly awaiting the release of you the 797?
1: probably not so shocked to realize that, yes, they are.
0: Ah, I feel I'm not even an uh, enthusiast yet, but I would be excited to hear that news.
1: So, on a side note, a lot of these airliners have industry nicknames, and this one happens to be funny and a little sexist. People call it the stripper, or the seven
0: five seven is yep, the stripper. The stripper,
1: or they call it the skinny girl with big tits,
0: because the engines are the because g- it has
1: because it's long and very thin, and has really big engines Copy compared that. to other Boeing's. It is thin long and has larger engines for its size. So it's just a funny aside. And everyone has a nickname except the 767 for some reason.
0: No nickname.
1: Not on the 767. I don't know why.
0: I am comfortable with the reference to the, you know, the tits in the woman because every right. boat is also a woman.
1: There you go. So
0: I can relate to naming the vessel after the gender.
1: Absolutely. So when it's, so let's go back to the airplane. When configured for passenger operations, the seven 57 and we're talking about the 200 series so there's a 200 and a 300 the 300 is even longer the 757 200 seats up to 210 people in a split cabin design meaning first class and coach production for the 757 was launched in 1982 for the now defunct eastern airlines that was their launch customer and production ended in 2004 when it was replaced by the seven thirty-seven, which was actually an even older design, they discontinued the seven fifty-seven to reallocate the resources to make redesigned seven thirty-sevens. We know how that turned out. That's another. That's a that's for another podcast. Can but, I
0: jump in and just ask for Eastern Airlines? Is there some significance? Should I know where they're based or what country or
1: no not of that? not in this case? Um, I did a couple episodes about Eastern Airlines. They are one of the original Big Four. What we call the Big Four in in the United States, so one of the original airlines in the United States, they went out of business in the okay. 80s.
0: Because so. they were running the 757s? And-
1: no, just because they were very mismanaged. Yeah. Okay. They the had labor and problems and stuff like that. that. Yeah. Over 1,757s were built during that time, and over 600 are still in operation. Delta Airlines is the largest operator of the 757 today, but... The 757 is still a very popular airliner and found in airline service with almost every major carrier throughout the world in almost every country. I'm also type rated in this aircraft. I've flown it a good bit, and that's also what makes me an expert here.
0: Okay. And you have no issues. You're not pro them or negative these. No,
1: I actually think that 757 is a great airplane. It flies great. It's really good at what it does. It's kind of a jack of all trades. Very good airplane. Okay, Okay. so let's talk about the company involved in this event. The company is a company called Birgen Air. B-I-R-G-E-N Air. Virgin Air was founded in Istanbul, Turkey in 1988. They started operations in 1989. They started as a charter company serving Turkish customers and Turkish tour groups. With the increase in mass tourism in Turkey, they developed a relationship with a German tour company called Ogre Tours that allowed the company to expand in the early 90s. In April of 1992, the fleet was expanded from its original DC-8, which is a very old airplane, and they added a Boeing 757-200. And in March 1993, they added a 737. That plane served only the European market. The DC-8 and the 757-200 served internationally. Yeah, certain
0: planes serve...
1: Yeah, certain markets. (laughs) To improve the utilization of the aircraft, though, the company leased out some of its 757s in the off-season to Caribbean Airways, which is based in Barbados. And additional relationships developed because of this Caribbean connection with leasebacks... And Ogre Tours and Burgeon Air entered into a cooperation with a newly founded Dominican company called Alas Nacionales.
0: Okay. National and just to be wings. clear, this is Dominican Republic where we are currently located, not Dominica of the Eastern Caribbean.
1: Correct. Yes. Okay. So that company was called Ale- Alas Nacionales, which means National Wings. And in nineteen 19- and that alliance was formed in 1995. National Wings, Alas Nacionales, was based in Porta Plata, which is close by to here. And they had an operating certificate, but they had no airplanes at the time. So they had an operating an operation certificate to be an airline, but they didn't have any capital, so they didn't have any airplanes. So this is where the German and Turkish Caribbean. enter into the Caribbean mix.
0: Okay, this is cool insight into the business of airlines.
1: Yeah, and you're going to see it gets a little mixed up because we're talking about all of these different countries. But anyway... Once they made the cooperative, they applied for transatlantic operations from Dominican Republic with the Dominican government, and they were granted those rights. Virgin Air transferred its certificate to National Wings in 1996, but the airplanes continued to wear the colors of Virgin Air. <sighs> so basically what we're saying is we have a Turkish airline being operated by a Dominican Republic operator uh, with Dominican Republic routes internationally
0: okay which direction were they headed where did dominican so they're headed
1: toward europe okay they're serving the european market for tour groups okay turkish and german tour groups mostly okay its charter flights between the dominican republic and germany began a week later due to a poor reputation Virgin air suspended all of its flights on march 8th of 1996 It was originally planned to resume flight operations in that year. However, the company filed bankruptcy and operations ceased shortly after that. In terms
0: of the term, is it unusual that a week later they're up and running? Is that a very short amount of time? It
1: is a very short amount of time. Because I think the Dominican government had an airline with no airplanes. A Turkish company comes in and says, here's an airplane and the and the and the Dominican the incentive Republic goes,
0: is to get going. Yeah
1: the Dominican government goes okay just go ahead and start you guys know what you're doing go ahead Yeah Now the FAA wouldn't do that the CAA wouldn't do that the Australian Aviation Authority wouldn't do that EASA which is and balances. checks and balances it would take a long time in like let's say european airspace that would take six months at least
0: so is this a bit of a bureaucratic thing like the fact that the operating certificate got transferred you know whose rules are we under, we under even though we're going to europe
1: right so okay so that's actually what i have written down here so a german and turkish charter operator is running operations in barbados and the dominican republic and they are leasing their airplanes out to even different operators in the off season. In Chile and throughout South America.
0: And so who's responsible for the maintenance on these planes? So when I see
1: situations like this, those exact questions come to mind. Like, who services the airplanes? Yeah, Who hires and trains the pilots? Where are they trained? How are they paid? What nationality are they? How are they certified? And we have to ask these same questions about the maintenance facilities, the mechanics, the flight attendants and everybody who touches or has anything to do with the airplane.
0: Okay, so questions I need to ask next time I purchase my next plane ticket.
1: When I see, yeah, so like I said, when I see situations like this, it's a little bit of a red flag. I'm like, who, who's really responsible? Who's really taking ultimate responsibility for this thing? But let's, let's get to the event, and then we'll dig in. Are you ready for the date? I the date am first.
0: excited for the date.
1: Okay, February 6th, 1996.
0: Great day. Yeah. Well, for some, maybe. I don't know where this is going.
1: <laughs> On this evening, Virgin Air was flying an airplane, flight 301. It was planned to depart at around 1130 with an every seat full flight to Frankfurt.
0: Sorry, what was the departure point?
1: So, Turkey? It, no, so they're coming out of Porta Plata.
0: Porta Plata to Frankfurt.
1: To Frankfurt. Every seat full, they're departing Gregorio Luperon International Airport, which is in Porta Plata, Dominican Republic, very close to where we are. The flight was scheduled to stop first in Gander, Newfoundland, then Berlin, before finishing up in Frankfurt sometime the next day.
0: Now, I understand Newfoundland is a very difficult place to land a plane. Can you confirm or deny?
1: I can confirm that. Okay. I have been there many times. It is very Foggy, windy, Windy. windy Terrible weather conditions.
0: Okay. And then the next stop after Gander?
1: Berlin. And they're going to stop in Berlin and because they're go- just going to drop off some passengers. Okay. That's it. They didn't need to do a fuel stop in Berlin. They are stopping in Gander for gas. Okay. Because although the 757 is considered a long-range airplane, going from Dominican Republic to Frankfurt Against is too jet far. Against the
0: stream? No, that would with be it. with it. Okay. But
1: that's too far. Okay. It's about
0: I was gonna say, an hour a, and a, a half. Too far. Okay, it's a
1: little. It's right on the edge. Yeah, and put that they're they'd be pushing that.
0: I mean, when you're not technically being have any oversight by any official agency, and we're not sure who's responsible here, why not push that boundary? Just go. It's probably going to be fine. They're go- they're coasting. trying to be safe,
1: so they're going to stop and Gander on the way. I mean, so they're
0: not doing the coasting technique.
1: No, we're gonna we're gonna give them a benefit of a doubt. Okay. Okay. So the 167 passengers consisted mainly of Germans, although there were nine poles along, including two members of the Polish National Parliament. Most of the passengers had booked Caribbean vacations with the German operator Org- Ogre Tours, like I said before, of which Virgin Air. Owned 10%. Although the aircraft is being operated by Alas Nacionales, the pilots are Turkish. Things are getting a little mixed up under this circumstance. The crew consisted of three Turkish pilots, eight Turkish flight attendants, and two Dominican flight attendants.
0: And just to be clear, the international language of aviation is English, so it doesn't matter that you have some Dominicans and Turkish mixed in together.
1: I would say it doesn't matter. is maybe a little bit, a little bit optimistic.
0: Okay, it shouldn't matter, but there's always going to be things. There's
1: always going to be a little miscommunication. Okay. But, I mean, you're right to say it is English. Agreed. Okay. Okay, so I don't normally talk about crew members. I don't name their names. Okay. Okay, it's just a respect thing. Unless they're heroic, unless they, unless their name is specifically important to the story, I don't right. tell them. Okay. So, so the captain is age sixty-one. He has almost twenty-five thousand hours flying, including flying nineteen hundred hours on the Boeing seven fifty-seven.
0: Now, can you, for context, tell me how many hours you have in your career?
1: I have roughly ninety-five hundred hours, and I've been flying for twenty-two years. And
0: how many hours did he have?
1: Twenty-five thousand. Wow. He's been flying a long time.
0: Do you have his age?
1: 61. So he's at the end of his career. This is roughly where I will retire. Okay. 20,000
0: to 22,000. Now pilots typically forced into retirement because you can't meet certain skills or requirements at that age? Or is that just a common...
1: He is age 61. At this time, the retirement age in the United States for pilots is age 60. Okay, But this is a charter flight, so that age limit does not apply to him. He's age 61. So he is not able to be a commercial pilot on a scheduled carrier anymore in either the EU or the United States. Okay, But he is licensed in the EU. He has 25,000 hours, about 1,900 hours flying on the Boeing 757. That's a lot of time. The first officer, he's 34. He has about 3,500 hours of flying experience, which is not very much. 3,500 hours is sort of the minimum
0: to be like
1: a major, to fly like a big airplane.
0: When you're like trying to achieve your license, obviously this made different countries, so feel free to tell me the American. It differs
1: depending on where you are. You would
0: come out of flight school ready to gainfully be employed with how many hours under your belt?
1: 250.
0: Okay. And he's 3,500.
1: Yeah. Okay. And then then typically you're going to work as a flight instructor or you're going to do something you else. Build. Fly cargo to build the time until you have fifteen hundred hours at which time you would move on to get your airline transport pilot certificate and then you would fly small airplanes for a while until you have enough experience to be competitive to fly big airplanes. He's right at the bottom of what I would say is like
0: you got the, time the job to get man. hired. Good job.
1: Yes. But only seventy hours are on the Boeing seven fifty seven. So he's not very experienced on the seven fifty seven.
0: Is there nuances to flying a seven fifty seven?
1: There's nuances to flying every type of jet. Each type of jet requires special training for that type of airplane specifically. Right. I wouldn't say the Boeing seven fifty seven is either easy or hard. Okay. It falls in the middle of the spectrum.
0: And in the scenario of a captain co captain relationship, both should be equally competent so that you can comment on what's going on. You're not learning. Absolutely. You're
1: not. Not neither is being instructed. Either has a unique job. And the 3,500-hour pilot is as qualified, technically, as the captain.
0: And as responsible, in yes. theory.
1: If the captain somehow becomes incapacitated, the first officer can He's absolutely 61. act Anything as the can happen. first officer, who is 34, he can fly the airplane as a captain.
0: And one person can fly and land a plane. Absolutely. Yep okay
1: they use two and in this case they have three pilots because they need a relief pilot they have a relief pilot he's age 51 he has about fifteen thousand total flight hours only about 120 on the 757 so relatively new to the 757 but lots of experience so i'm gonna assess that the experience of the aircraft crew is mixed middle of the road yes often low time pilots though, have a better perspective on the operation of the aircraft because they're much more fresh out of training and they haven't gotten um, complacent. Yes. I'm just saying that it's worth pointing out that a lot of experience doesn't always equate to a lot of safety. Noted. So to be upfront, I tried to further research the pilot history record due to the fact that they are Turkish. I couldn't find much, but I do know that the crew had just been to recurrent training they were trained at Pan Am Flight Sim Center in Miami, Florida, and they had completed their training on January 28th of 1996. And
0: we February of 96.
1: Yes, February 6th, just a few days prior. It's actually my guess that they went to training for this flight. They came here and they sat for a couple of days before the flight because being Turkish, they probably are not going to fly, fly them back home, fly them back. Right. They're just going to. Send them to Miami, sit them there a couple of days after training, fly them to the Dominican Republic, sit them here, and then...
0: Enjoy the local sights. Exactly.
1: And then they're going to go home with the airplane. So on this evening, the crew and the passengers get on this 11-year-old 757, which for an airliner is not old.
0: Took the words nope, out of my mouth.
1: not old. They prepare to depart from Porta Plata for their ride up the U.S. coast landing in Gander for their first fuel stop.
0: Can we discuss general weather conditions of yeah. the U.S. East Coast? I'm getting there.
1: Oh, yeah. okay. I don't I don't mind that you're ahead of me. In fact, I love the way... I love if you stay ahead of me, then you're thinking. Okay. Going direct, like I said before, wasn't an option because it's about an hour, maybe an hour and a half too far for the 757-200. So one intermediate stop is required. But this aircraft... It had been sitting in Porta Plata for 20 days prior to February 6th, and it had been awaiting maintenance. It was rushed back into service to do this charter because it wasn't the original intended aircraft. Virgin Air said that the German contract maintenance company called LTU had last seen the airplane in 1995, and German technicians in Munich had, quote, not been impressed with its condition.
0: And what month in 1995? There's 12 of them.
1: I don't know that answer. Anyway, the 757 was rushed into service at the last minute.
0: I guess not impressed is the key portion of that 1995 segment. It's not looking good.
1: Yes. Virgin Air comment, commented on this and said, Until last year, maintenance was done by LTU of Germany, said the chairman of the board at Virgin Air, Mr. Eisman. Since then, we have trained our local technicians in Puerto Plata to do light maintenance, and we have put the maintenance contract out to tender. He means for the lowest bidder.
0: And just to be clear, they're doing light maintenance on something that got reported as not great.
1: Correct. But when the press reached out to LTU, LTU denied this and said, quote, the plane was never, ever serviced by LTU in terms of maintenance.
0: In the airline industry, does these sort of statements get audited to they confirm have that responsibility? Do get,
1: they do have logbooks that would get audited. Okay. I don't know the outcome of that audit. But it's just that airplanes need service. Mm. Constant service.
0: And in the tendering world, the lowest bid is a scary thought.
1: Yes, I agree with that as well. Okay, regardless of the status, there were too few passengers for the originally scheduled larger Boeing 767 which is a longer-range airplane that could have done the flight nonstop. And the 767 seats 300 people. It's double a, aisle. It's a double aisle, so it's a wide body. But they didn't have enough people to fill that one. Instead of using that airplane, which burns more fuel... they Saved some money. They grabbed this one that was waiting for maintenance. They did the maintenance real quick on it, and then they put it into service to do this flight. Whew. So they loaded up that 757, they filled it with, with fuel, and they pushed off the blocks at 11.30 p.m. on the dot. And 18 minutes later, they were lined up and ready for takeoff. Seems normal. The weather was some low clouds at about 1,800 feet and overcast skies at 7,000 feet with light precipitation.
0: And are we talking a general cruising altitude? I'm picturing 30,000 because that yeah, number always 30 comes to, to mind. to 35,000
1: would be the cruising altitude. So okay. what we have here is the visibility is good during takeoff. They would climb up through the clouds. The visibility would be good on top. The visibility is good underneath, but if you've listened to past episodes, you know that we call this a dark night. The reason we call it a dark night is because the, mu- the moon is obscured. Okay. So there is no reference besides the lights on the ground. So the dangerous part of this is once you turn away from a city and you point yourself out over water, it is now completely black. There's a moonless sky and you have to, even though it's 10 miles or more of visibility, you have to navigate solely by reference to your instruments.
0: I feel like VFR is the word I want.
1: That would be VFR until you have to navigate solely by reference to the instruments. And then your IFR. IFR. So the conditions were technically what we call vmc visual meteorological conditions however once you turn away from the land and you don't see lights on the ground you have no reference we call that imc instrument meteorological conditions
0: okay interesting. okay
1: as the takeoff roll began the crew saw something out of the ordinary
0: as the takeoff
1: roll so they wait. put the power up they set the power the takeoff roll began they started going down the runway once reaching 80 knots The captain, who was the pilot flying, noticed that his airspeed indicator still read zero.
0: What speed do you go to first lift your wheels? How many knots do you want to get to? So
1: you would be around 140.
0: Okay, so he's halfway roughly.
1: Halfway. So his airspeed indicator is not working. Quote, my airspeed indicator's not working.
0: Something you want when you're going to be IMC.
1: Correct. The first officer replies, yes, it's not working. The captain then said, is yours working? The first officer replied, "Yes, it's working." The captain replied, Quote, "You tell me." Because there's two sep- there's, there's actually three separate instruments. There's two main and one alternate or standby. Okay. So the, so the captain's p- isn't working, the first officer's is working.
0: How's the third one doing?
1: It's also working. Okay. And we're going to see that in a second.
0: I've been on a plane mm-hmm. where you get you feel pretty committed you're maybe moving down the runway and something happens. You end up sitting on the tarmac. Your flight's canceled. You're back in the terminal. You know, yes. you've got to do maintenance. Would one instrument, when the other two might be working, is that the kind of thing to stop a flight?
1: So in this situation, we are trained to reject the takeoff, stop safely on the runway.
0: Do you have room when you're already going 80 Plenty. knots to... Oh, okay.
1: Plenty. However, the captain, seeing that the first officer's airspeed was working, he elected to continue. I can't tell you why. Okay. Okay. He looked over there. He said, yours is working. The first officer said, yep. And they said, okay, present some problems as we're going to see. As the 757 climbed to 2,500 feet, the captain noted that his speed was Started working.
0: Did he confirm that what he was seeing on his gauge was the same as the other officers? Or it was just shooting a reading?
1: So at some point, it would read the same. You're, again, perfectly one step ahead of me, which I love. We're beginning to see here, what we're beginning to see here is really insidious. The captain's pitot tube, which is the way the air pushes into the airplane, the way the speed is measured, is blocked. Basically, the thing that enables you to tell speed is blocked.
0: And you can't just do a little p and clear it out. No,
1: it's outside of the airplane. Got it. Here's the insidious part. The air that is trapped in the system expands as the aircraft climbs. So it gives you the impression that it's suddenly working. The air that's stuck in the tube expands, expands and
0: moves the needle. Moves
1: the needle. Correct. At some point, it will intersect the correct speed. However... As you climb higher, it will simply read faster and faster. And if you are lower, it will read slower and slower. It's now acting as an altimeter. It's not telling you anything about the speed. The accountant
0: in me wants these guys to start graphing this. It looks
1: like it's working. It's completely unreliable. Okay. Crossing through 1,500 feet and assuming that airspeed is working, the captain continued to climb and initially levels off at 2,500 feet.
0: Is that an initial level off point?
1: Sounds like a reasonable initial level off. Okay. Okay. However, they're soon given a climb, and they're told to climb to 5,000. As the airplane continued to climb, the captain's airspeed indicator continues to climb. Okay. And it shows faster and faster. The first officer's airspeed read about 200 knots. That's a good safe speed and an accurate speed. However, the captain has now turned on the autopilot, which draws information from from his his instruments. instruments. Just before 5,000 feet, the captain starts to become confused. He says to the first officer, there's something wrong. There are some problems. Now, we already know what the problem is.
0: I have a few questions. Go ahead. If the first officer was the one to flick an autopilot switch on his side, that would have been working off of his instruments. Yes.
1: In fact, in this aircraft, it has two autopilots. One feeds from the captain's side, one feeds from the first officer's side. Had so the, had even he if you the... had
0: some doubts that yours was working, you could have said, hey, pal, hit your button, please. He shouldn't be in the air in the first place, Yes. but a simple, cautious approach.
1: Yes. Or, better yet, he could have transferred controls to the first officer. He could have said, my airspeed indicator isn't working, you fly.
0: Or I have lack of trust in it, even though it appears to be working for the moment. You fly. Yeah.
1: Totally the right thing to do. So you're catching on. This is not not rocket surgery. This is-
0: Common sense.
1: Common sense stuff. So a lot of what we do in aviation is not rocket science. We're trained and we really need to rely on the common sense and we need to practice that and we need to go- Follow procedure. Follow procedure, let's do what's safe. Hey, your stuff seems to be working, you go ahead and fly. That is not what happened here. And like you very poignantly pointed out, Now the captain has turned on his, and we already know that his airspeed is unreliable.
0: And because they're ascending, things are getting speedier, which is... It
1: seems to the captain like things are getting speedier. Okay. But the first officer, he has the correct airspeed on his side. And to back that up, we said there's a small, fully analog airspeed indicator in the center. It agrees with the first officer's airspeed indicator. So we have two airspeed indicators that agree, they're reading around 200 knots, again, an appropriate speed. We have one that keeps climbing and climbing and climbing and going faster.
0: Controlling the autopilot. Correct. You have a first officer and a captain. You're on a long haul flight. I know you have the third one. So both of these people in theory are alert and checking their instruments throughout the flight. Yes. Nobody's Um, sleeping.
1: No, nobody's sleeping. The speed on the first officer's side is now decreasing because the the captain has turned on his autopilot. The aircraft has begun to pitch up the nose as it sees the airspeed rising. It's just a computer that goes, you're getting close to overspeed. So we're going to move the nose up a little bit to slow you down. Well, as the nose tips up, his airspeed continues to go faster because it's going to climb faster. However, the first officer's airspeed decreases because they're pitching up. And climbing.
0: Now, maybe this is different if you're in a two-person fun plane. I don't. What do we call those? Right,
1: like an aerobatic plane.
0: Yeah, or a 200-passenger plane where you can't go full. In a small one, let's do a somersault. Let me show you my tricks. In a big, what was it? Two hundred thousand. Two
1: hundred fifty thousand pound.
0: Pound plane. There's a limit.
1: Yes, you can't sure. do
0: the loop de lose. No, definitely not. Okay.
1: Yeah, but let's see how all this plays out. Okay, so the captain looks over at the first officer's side, which is now decreasing because of the aircraft pitch, and he says both of them are wrong. What can we do? Let's check the circuit breaker, and then he looks at the alternate and he says the alternate is correct, and he means the standby, which. The alternate actually agrees with the first officer's instrument. So you're just seeing some confusion.
0: Can I get some industry insight here? Have you ever flown with a person like this who would make statements like that that would sort of blow your mind of like, aren't they reading the same number?
1: So this is what we call loss of situational awareness. We call it SA in the industry. Your SA can degrade and then you can regain your SA. This would be one of the ways you could regain your SA is to look at yours look at his, look at the center, compare them, and go, those two agree, Mind's off. This guy is still in the decreasing situational awareness arc. He's not. His brain's not quite getting it.
0: Okay, and this essay is part of pilot training.
1: Right, absolutely. Cool. The relief officer sitting in the middle seat behind them gets involved, and he pulls some circuit breakers and pushes them back in, but nothing changes. So as the fully loaded 757 continues to climb, The overspeed warning on the captain's side goes off. And it's a really loud and offensive tone. That's because they've climbed to the point where the airspeed has now gone over the limit. However, on the first officer's side, the airspeed is decreasing slightly. So they're around 180 knots. Okay. That's the actual speed of the airplane. The captain sees over 350.
0: There are minimum knots to stay in the air. Definitely.
1: So the automation, like we talked before, is coupled to the captain's side, meaning that the autopilot is drawing information from his airspeed indicator, and it is indicating that they are going way too fast, okay? When we actually know that the airplane is going slow and slowing. It's pitching up the autopilot, which also controls the autothrottle, reads the overspeed condition, Pulls the throttles to idle because it thinks the airplane is going too fast. And the engines spool down.
0: I didn't think I would feel distressed during this. I don't feel traumatized, but I feel the tension. Yes.
1: So now we are in a dire situation. The aircraft is pitched, nose up. The autopilot has pulled the auto thrust to idle and the aircraft is slowing.
0: When you say a dire situation, a simple push of a button to be like, let's take over manual. We can now, we could take
1: over manually. In fact, if we get what's called the stick shaker, which is the first indication of an aerodynamic stall where the airplane won't fly anymore, the autopilot will turn itself off. It says, hey, I'm out.
0: And it'll tell you it's out. Oh
1: yeah, big noises. Things are going... Hey, Maybe it's yours. Everything
0: you've ever seen in the movies, basically. But here's a question. Yeah, go ahead. Totally irrelevant to the story. Is the cockpit... Do we call it the cockpit or the cabin? We
1: could call it the flight deck or the cockpit. It's up to you.
0: Okay, I'll go cockpit. We're sitting in, sitting the, cockpit in the cockpit of yep. a boat. The passengers would not hear these alarms. They would not. Do the flight attendants ever come in and out like, I'm a passenger so in the So in 1996, door they would have. In... they
1: could have okay but so not, the door but,
0: might open and passengers are like why is there
1: a lot But not but not at this altitude they're just taking off okay they're we're just taking off sign we're still seatbelt sign is on not even at 10,000 feet yet okay so to make matters worse the first officer's flight computer using the accurate airspeed now triggers the stick shaker meaning the aircraft is approaching an aerodynamic stall when an aircraft approaches an aerodynamic stall or becomes stalled the wing stops flying, the nose tips over, and it points down.
0: And do this you become a not, rock at that point? No,
1: not at all. You can add power, you can, you can initiate glide. a recovery, you just gain a little speed, and you can climb right out of it. We practice it all okay, the time. So we're
0: not dead yet.
1: But there's a that level of confusion I want you to understand. On the right-hand side, we have a stick shaker, and it's shaking, stick, physically sh- shaking the stick, saying, hey, we're gonna stall. Over on the captain's side, you have an overspeed warning. Mm-hmm. So you have an overspeed and an underspeed at the same time.
0: Okay. This this adds to the flight
1: deck confusion.
0: I'm glad. I don't know how this turns out, but I'm glad that there's a third party to, like, break this tie. Third captain, long-haul flight.
1: Yep, we got a third pilot in there. You know,
0: imagine if there was just two.
1: So both pilots say, oh, shit. At the se- basically the same time, shit. The other one says, shit. The captain drops a few Turkish F bomb equivalents.
0: I was gonna say, I'm thinking stronger words than shit, but sure.
1: Yeah, then the first officer begins to regain his situational awareness. He says, nose down, to which the captain responds, fuck. The first officer says, thrust.
0: Is that what you should do in a nose Absolutely. down? Absolutely. Okay.
1: So the captain begins to now regain his awareness as the airplane enters a descending stall.
0: And it was the first officer who said thrust? Yes. So he appears the to be aware as well.
1: recognizes the airplane is stalled. He says, nose down, because you got to push the nose over, get the wing flying again, add power, and now we can fly out of it.
0: So they both seem to have recovered some situational... They are situational... starting to
1: regain their SA. Okay. Okay. The captain begins to regain his situational awareness as the, like I said, as the airplane enters a stall. Quote, is the autopilot off? Thrust levers, thrust, thrust, thrust. And the engines spool up and the captain is now intent on gaining airspeed.
0: Spool up meaning give it some juice. Yep, let the,
1: it takes a little while for those big jet engines to oh. get going from idle, yeah, which is yeah. where they were. I can
0: picture on the runway the sound oh, when yeah, you're sitting by big, the wing.
1: It takes a, bit, it takes a minute. You okay. know? Not a minute, it takes probably... Five to seven seconds. Okay. The engines spool up and the captain is now intent on gaining airspeed. And although his intention is good, he leaves the nose down too long. And the first officer says, pull back, meaning climb, pull back on the stick. Then the relief op- so you officer. So
0: you thrust with your nose down. Yes.
1: And then you move then into you,
0: like a horseshoe. Yep, absolutely. To start climbing yep. again. Mm-hmm. Okay. So
1: you want to break. You want to gain speed by pushing the nose over adding power. And they've and stayed too up.
0: long thrusting and nose down. Yes. And what are the consequences of that? So,
1: well, let's see. So the first officer says pull back, meaning climb. Then the relief officer who's sitting back behind the pilots says pull up, which means pull back. The first officer then says retard, meaning pull the power back. Now you're okay. going too fast and we're going downhill.
0: In Can I tell you what the imagination of a non- airplane mind thinks, Please tell that me. when you do this U-turn at the bottom to start climbing, that the plane just snaps in half.
1: You could pull it hard enough to break it. You could? You could pull it hard enough to break it, but it would take a really hard pull. Yeah. We're trained not to do that. Okay. In a Boeing, you can break it. In an Airbus, you can't break it. Why? It won't let you.
0: Different materials? What are... <laughs> Different computers. Oh! In an
1: Airbus, you can grab that stick and you can pull all the way back, and it will load the wing to 2G... And it will stop and you
0: don't have control you don't have control anymore Whoa. That's right.
1: but in a boeing you can pull and pull and pull and pull until it's basically reached its structural limit oh my god that's not where plane... we are okay that last command where the first officer says retard meaning pull the throttles back pull the power back because now we're going downhill and we're doing it fast because those engines have a lot of power so he basically is pointed down And he's put the power on. Do we have
0: any sort of velocity reference, like how many knots downwards they're going?
1: We don't at this point. Okay. I'm going to guess. I'll guess, because I read the data, around 250, maybe approaching 270. Okay. Okay.
0: How long at that speed, at 5,000 or whatever feet we're at, till you hit the ground?
1: Not very. Okay. Not very. You have probably... I would say they're descending at five at five at over five thousand feet a minute. They're at five thousand feet. They have one minute. Or less.
0: Whoa. Okay. Lucky I believe information is power. This actually makes me feel better about flying in some ways.
1: The captain, though, is now looking at his airspeed indicator again, and as the airplane descends, his airspeed gets slower.
0: Sorry, have they done retard or have they pulled back yet?
1: So in he has these... not pulled back and he has not pulled back the power
0: these are like we're in a snapshot of a, a few seconds. you know yes, like we are in a, are a very in snapshot small of a
1: very period of time narrow window okay the captain is obviously confused and he says please please don't pull back please Be- pull back Because- please pull back i agree but here's what he sees he sees the airspeed decreasing so he's like if we pull back we're gonna stall but the airspeed is actually increasing. Remember that this is very insidious. The airspeed indicator is reading as an altimeter. So yes. as we approach the ground, it gets slower and slower. He thinks, if I pull back, the airplane is going to stall again. The first officer is going, we're going fast, and we're going fast toward the ground.
0: And airplanes and ground at high velocity do not No, do they not mix. do not. And in this
1: case, it would be the ocean. Oh. So what the captain is seeing, like I said, is his airspeed go down, the first officer sees that the airspeed is increasing. The first officer sees that the airplane is flying again, thus him saying, pull back. The first officer is like, we're flying.
0: I thought the first officer was
1: retard. He did say that. Okay. Because now his airspeed is going up quickly.
0: So he wants to retard and pull he back.
1: He wants to... Level off the airplane, yes, basically, and he doesn't want to overspeed, so he wants to pull the throttle back and he wants to pull up.
0: Right decisions.
1: Correct decision. Ignored by the captain because the captain says, please, please don't pull back. So he becomes confused again because he looks at his airspeed indicator.
0: Jump in, number three, jump in.
1: The captain is confused. He doesn't react. He holds the nose down and he keeps the power at full forward.
0: What does this feel like to the passengers?
1: It, Does it feel like it hurtling probably at the ground? It feels like they're accelerating toward the ground.
0: Have anywhere. the oxygen masks dropped?
1: No, they have not. They've only reached about 5,000 feet. Okay. So they're, they've are they gone up to 5,000 feet. Now they're descending back down. So there's no oxygen masks. They have no issues. The passengers just feel a weird top of the arc. And now they're feeling an acceleration and they're hearing the engine spool up and they're like, we're descending they could feel that in their butts.
0: Yeah, spooling up while descending, I'm thinking they're trying to crash this plane.
1: So the Gip whiz called Ground Proximity Warning System, chimes in. It says... Terrain, terrain. Pull
0: up, pull what? up. This is a thing that's saying you're getting close to the ground.
1: It is. It begins reading at 2,500 feet above the ocean. They've passed that 2,500 foot mark... And the whiz, the ground proximity warning system, kicks in. So
0: grateful for these systems that yes. override the pilot, saying, you know.
1: Yeah. Then the captain says, "What's happening?" So the Gipwiz is broken. He's never regained his situational awareness. No, I thought the he did. The Gipwiz continues. He he never regained it. Like I said, he lost it because as they started to descend, his airspeed started to descend. So it now he makes sense to him that they're going too slow.
0: Okay, Captain. So the airplane
1: needs two things to fly, right?
0: 25,000 and hours, and I you're know. not... Maybe he's had a lot of smooth flying miles and hours.
1: Probably. <sighs> so for the next eight seconds, the Jip Whiz continues to more urgently and more urgently say, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up.
0: How many sink rates pull up? That takes about three seconds to say. How, you know, you've only got about 20 of those before you're in the ocean.
1: The first officer says, quote, let's try this, and the recording ends. (gasps) What? At 1147 and 39 seconds, just four minutes and 13 seconds after its wheels had left the ground, the fully loaded 757-200 impacts the water in a five-degree nose-down attitude, traveling at nearly 300 miles an hour.
0: Okay, five degrees meaning it's almost perfectly upside down or no, it's, it's almost it's, nearly level? it's
1: almost level.
0: At this speed, is the ocean like a concrete block? Absolutely. <sighs>
1: All 167 passengers and 13 crew are killed upon impact. So take a moment.
0: Oh, my God. I thought the first officer was going to be the hero, if I'm honest. God.
1: What sticks in my mind is he knew. The first officer knew this was happening. He didn't take control of the aircraft. There's some human factors here. There's some startle effect. There's some... um, Insistency. Insistence. Some, am I right? Is he right? There's still some uh, situational does, awareness and confusion.
0: Does a third captain have any right to step in and override both of them? He
1: does. So there's three microphones have on the airplane. Have you
0: listen to the recording? I, do civilians have the ability? They
1: do. I do not listen to these. I read the transcripts. Okay. I can't listen to them. Okay, fair. Uh, it's they're, it, they're too close. Okay. So there's a an area microphone that covers the flight deck. And then there's the actual recording from the microphones the pilots wear. They used to communicate. So we can hear the the fir- the captain and the first officer very clearly and we can hear the relief officer, the third through pilot the through the area mic and we can hear him say pull up a couple of times. Okay. So he's aware. <sighs> so what happened? Accidents are never simple. This one is particularly tragic and it was so preventable. So let's t- let's tear it apart a little bit. I know you. Where you're, in shock. We, you're just we, like, oh, when oh. you say
0: tear it apart, what are we about to do?
1: So we're gonna figure out why it happened.
0: I feel like we know why. It, I have so many comments, and I don't even know airplanes. It, it's upsetting. Uh, not that I'm incredible in a stressful situation, but I mean, I hope I am because I'm sailing alone. But yes, you know, ah, uh, okay, you you lead here because I'm recovering.
1: It all started. With a wasp. What? They believe that the most likely culprit was the black and yellow mud dauber, well known to Dominican pilots. It loves to nest in artificial cylindrical structures, or it makes its own cylinders out of mud.
0: Can you remind me the name of the tube in the... The
1: pedo tube.
0: The pedo tube.
1: These pilots were Turkish. They were not Dominican. They were not aware of the black and yellow mud dauber
0: i'd like to jump back before the not before the wasp but as you said instruments not reading you should abort the flight
1: absolutely but this airplane sat without its covers for 20 days i
0: was going to ask indoor storage or outdoor storage? outdoor
1: storage with no covers and they should have covered the tubes there's little tubes you stick right on and it's specifically for this it's to keep things from going in that tube insects in particular wasps can build their nests overnight. It makes sense, but you can't blame a wasp for being a wasp.
0: They didn't recover a pedo tube and see a wasp They nest. did not. Yeah. That's why
1: they said it was the most likely culprit. Okay. They do know by recovering the flight data recorder that the airspeed indicator did not read. So they know through the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder that that instrument was not working and that instrument was the culprit. When we go back and we look at it, we have to make certain assumptions. And the assumption they made was it was a, a black and yellow dauber. Wow. Like I said, you can't blame a wasp, but you can blame a pilot for continuing to take a broken airplane into the air. The captain made a decision to continue the takeoff role even though his indicator wasn't working.
0: What is the scenario in that moment where he realizes his instrument isn't working, checks in with the co-pilot. If the co-pilot says we're aborting, is the captain obligated to abort because one has dissented?
1: No, no. So in the case of... I mean, he didn't. He could have forced his hand. Okay. But if the first officer says there's a problem as a captain, I'm going to abort. This captain should recognize the problem himself. And he should have said,
0: we're abort. rejecting
1: the takeoff. As soon as he pulls those throttles to idle, there are brakes; They come on themselves. His spoilers are going to come out themselves. All he has to do is look down the runway and stop. That is it. This would have been a non-event had when he seen his airspeed indicator, he went rejecting. And is I'm going to stop on the possible?
0: runway. So you've rejected, you know, you stop on the runway, a little five minute wasp spray and a thing, your passengers don't even disembark, and you're back on the runway ready. Maybe not five minutes, but it's not a aborted flight. It's not a 24-hour delay. It could be a quick resolution.
1: From a crew member's perspective, I don't care how long it takes to fix, but you are correct. Had he taken the airplane back and he called maintenance or called whoever, and he said, there's something wrong, the airspeed indicator doesn't work first thing the mechanic would have done is gone out gotten a ladder cause it's quite high up he would have looked in the tube with a and he would have went oh yeah there's a dobber in there or there's something in there mm. and he could have physically taken something to clean it out
0: it's quite a simple okay
1: it's quite a simple repair but
0: you say as a pilot in your professional career you don't feel the pressures of schedules and things because you follow protocol
1: correct okay yeah i wouldn't care if this delayed these people yeah. However, in this case, it may only delay them for an hour Okay, while they fixed it, tested it, yeah, got back in the air.
0: I'm not sure if the podcast people can understand that right now you're grinning from ear to ear, and I'm afraid that there's more to this story. Like, no, you, it's the your wasps- reaction.
1: I'm grinning at your reaction okay. because it's so genuine.
0: The wasps <sighs> floored me a little there.
1: Other So we have to understand. So let's go back and look at the autopilot or the airspeed indicator. Other systems rely on that airspeed indicator once the airplane gets airborne and the autopilot gets turned on. What other other systems? Like the auto thrust. Okay. It relies on it. Also, the pitch system. So it can say, oh, we're going too fast. Let's move the airplane nose up a little bit to slow it down because if you pitch the airplane up, it'll slow down. Right. So the autopilot relies on that instrument. On the ground, it may seem like a non event. Hey, this one's not working. Is yours working? Yeah. Let's just keep going. That may seem like a non event. And it would have been a non event if the captain said, You're flying now. But now we he's doing something that we that is a huge no no in the industry, which is called cross cockpit scan. We would do this only in the, the utmost emergency.
0: You're already in the air and something's gone wrong. Yes. And you need reference and to instruments.
1: He has some instruments. I have some instruments, he or she, I'm going to say. Knowledge. Let's got knowledge. Somebody's going to fly, and whoever's going to fly is going to cross cockpit scans. So right. this is a situation you where we would go, to- oh, I have this. You have this. Okay. We're not going to do that as you a matter of to course. You don't
0: justify continuing to take
1: off. Correct. Okay. We would simply go... No, I'm not going to do that. And if we were in the air, we would do it, but we would land as soon as we could.
0: Do you have any fun facts about the people who created this incredible technology that's all talking to each other? I realize in this scenario it's gone wrong, Yes, though due to human error potentially. Um, who is the genius responsible for some so? Of it's these an systems? Ev- so
1: all of these systems are evolutionary systems. They start with very simple systems, and they add features and add features and add features as they go. It's sort of like the old cruise control when you were a little kid. The cruise control on your car, it turned on and it turned off. This is all it did. Right. But now it'll accelerate. pace the car in front of you. It'll accelerate. It'll resume. It'll Shoulder it, check. keep lanes. It'll do all kinds of things. Again, not one person did it. It's okay. an evolutionary development. Oh, I okay. wanted
0: to give him a shout out.
1: The captain became confused by the failure that he knew existed. So that is something that we really can't overstate enough. He became confused by something he knew was a problem. This is ultimately the failure.
0: Right. The issue is if you're not aware of a problem, you cannot adjust your reaction. Correct. But he was aware he of was the aware. thing that caused all of this. Yes. <sighs> Upsetting.
1: Not only that, though, the captain spread his confusion like a virus to the other two pilots who bought it for a moment. Because remember, the, the captain said to the first officer, yours is wrong, too. Oh, let's, let's use the alternate. So here's what he did. When he said that, he planted a seed.
0: A mm, seed of doubt.
1: The first officer goes, mine's working. I'm good. The captain then looked over and goes, mine's not working. Yours isn't working either. And the first officer kind of went, huh? And it put that seed of doubt in his head. That's what causes his descent into loss of situational awareness.
0: How do you get the sound of me shaking my head in disbelief onto the podcast? I just say,
1: she's sitting here shaking her head Uh, in disbelief, which you have been doing often. Okay, so these guys bought that for a moment, but once they recovered, once the relief officer and the first officer recovered, they said to the captain, do this. The captain did not do that thing. He did not respond appropriately to their commands.
0: Their correct commands. Their correct
1: commands. So let's talk about the official cause. The official cause was, quote, the crew's failure to recognize the activation of the stick shaker as a warning of imminent entrance to the stall and the failure of the crew to execute the procedures for recovery from the onset of loss of control. (sighs) That's accurate. However, there's so much more that happened before that. So, let me break There's what.
0: more that happened before that.
1: I mean, we saw what we saw right. the things okay. that contributed to. I was like, that, you're gonna right? give
0: me more information. No, here. I
1: can't give you more information. <laughs> I don't have any more. But the crew so it says, so let me read that again so it sinks in. The crew's failure to recognize the activation of the stick shaker, which was the first officer's yes. side. It said, hey, we're gonna stall as an imminent warning to a stall. And the failure of the crew to execute the procedures for recovery from that stall. That's accurate. They failed to recognize the stall, and then they failed to accurately recover from the stall. Yeah. We saw the guts of it. We went down in there and kind of twisted around. a very around and...
0: highly summarized statement.
1: Correct. But the scary part of this is that... <sighs> so now's where you're really going to shake your head. No. Or roll your eyes. Is that training for this specific condition, which is called unreliable airspeed... Wouldn't go into pilot curriculums and training programs until 2016.
0: It has a title now?
1: It's called Unreliable Airspeed. Correct. It has a title now.
0: So when you first heard about this incident, maybe it was in your training or maybe it's in your research for the podcast. Research. You went, this falls into that training that I did.
1: Absolutely. You didn't
0: have to look up... How a blocked tube would act like an altimeter. No. You just it just clicks. I just for know you.
1: because I've been through this training.
0: What year was that? Two thousand and sixteen. Twenty years after oh, this crash.
1: Twenty years.
0: It makes it into training. Correct. What year were you trained?
1: In airliners, twenty nineteen. In first jets, two thousand four. So so, for a long time, I was trained in the recognition and recovery of a stall, but not the recognition and recovery from air, unreliable airspeed. Okay. What we call that is airspeed unreliable. That's the checklist. It's a memory item. I have to know it. Okay. and I do know it. But the point is, what we used to train on was not the, well, not, not the cause, from a but stall, the symptom.
0: You need to know the airspeed.
1: So previous to twenty sixteen it was very reactive training. Okay. As of twenty sixteen, we began to
0: diagnose. Now
1: we're now we go. Airspeed unreliable. Done. Okay. Now we do the airspeed unreliable checklist. Which in this case would have prevented that crash.
0: The upsetting bit is that it took twenty years from this crash.
1: Two decades.
0: Do but, you have any... Inf- and
1: before that could happen, hang on.
0: Well, okay. The
1: same failure would go on to cause the crash of an Air France Airbus A330 over the Atlantic Ocean in 2009, which killed all 216 aboard, and at least one other notable accident.
0: So at least two that we know of. So we've got 600-odd lives, potentially. Yes. I'm sure many more smaller planes and things, but 600 commercial airline lives. Yep. Wow.
1: And two decades later. So what about now? And, and I touched on this. We're specifically, specifically trained on what we call airspeed unreliable. The recovery looks nothing like what these pilots did. And for the general public, it's actually quite easy to understand. And for you, who is not an aviation expert, it's easy for you to understand. Ready. Are you ready? Super easy. We click the autopilot off.
0: Which I said.
1: Click the th- auto thrust off. Okay. Both of those contributed to this. Right. Okay, because the autopilot pitched up and then pulled the throttles back. Yes. Inducing a stall condition. So what you do is you click off the autopilot and you click off the auto thrust. Flight directors are also off. Then you set a known pitch and power. This means I'm going to set 80%. We measure engine thrust in percentage. Okay. I'm gonna set 80% of the engine thrust I'm going to pitch the airplane nose up five degrees. And this is what I'm going to do.
0: And you kind of calibrate it. And I'm done. Oh.
1: That's the checklist.
0: Wait. Until 100,000 feet? At what point are you... We'll figure it out. Okay. Okay.
1: Now we'll figure it out. Yeah. Right? Now we're going to declare an emergency.
0: You realize the first officer's instruments match the alternate and figure out which one's the problem. We're now
1: in what's called a stable state.
0: Your career is fascinating.
1: So now what we've done is we've set 80% power. We've pitched the nose up. We know that we are going to climb away from the ground. And we know that the airplane is not going to overspeed because we've only set 80% of the power, not 100%.
0: Do you know what's fascinating to me about the beginning of this story? Tell me. Is that I really thought we were going to get into a maintenance discussion. But realistically, you leave one cap off a pitot tube that's on a plane that's been perfectly maintained and that one thing was missed and you could get in the same situation. Yes, this plane was unacceptable, but one small error on a perfectly maintained plane and we could be in the same exact situation.
1: That Dauber could have built his nest overnight.
0: Could have been overnight. god.
1: It didn't matter. Ultimately, yeah, we did that, but what did we really do in the end? We disregarded what we knew we didn't do pilot like shit. Like you're trained. They didn't fly the airplane like they were trained.
0: Was this the incident that put Bergen Air out of business? It was. Okay.
1: Yes. Four simple steps. Autothrust autopilot off, flight directors off, known pitch and power. Yeah. Now we got plenty of time, time to diagnose this thing.
0: Here's the thoughts from a sailor. Go and ahead. And you prefer your method of travel to be in the air. Yes. And I prefer on the water. Now, would it give you more comfort in the sailing world to know that my wind instruments, when they fail, which currently, ironically, my wind instruments have failed. I've got my anemometer down off the top of the mast. I can still feel it on my face. Yes. No one's cracking a window in the cockpit to check that airspeed.
1: Oh, no, no. (laughs) And even if we could, we couldn't tell the difference.
0: Yeah. And yours results in a plummet and mine results in a turning on the engine motoring i'm not sure what i would, yeah, you know throw out an anchor yeah drop the sails i guess yeah
1: that's right Yep.
0: put more sail up a lot less consequences
1: there's a memorial in porta plata i figured that if i had time on my way to the airport i'd swing by and pay my respect i don't know if i will but if i do i'll post a picture
0: Why don't you have time to get to the... Porta Plata is like an hour's drive away from here. It is. It's quite a long way. I hear no excuses and I will be watching Instagram for the photo of the memorial. Not to put pressure on you. Thank you. And you could edit this out.
1: Yeah, I might. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just say, what did you think?
0: It was a ton of fun because like trying to guess educated guesses and things I'm not educated on or like logical guesses. I have to give you a lot
1: of credit. You were ahead of me. On almost every single thing.
0: Except I did get the maintenance, I was ready to glom onto that.
1: But you were mostly ahead of me Except you were the like, wasps. wait a second, wait a second. Right. So if I wasps. I
0: wish before we did this, maybe I had accidentally gotten stung when I was in town and had <laughs> some sort of run-in with a wasp that I was already, you know, Well daubers
1: are actually um a type of wasp and they are they eat mostly spiders and other insects, and they're very independent animals. So they actually, so the male oh. dauber will just live by himself. That's it. So they're very isolated and and singular animals.
0: So did one dauber cause some bachelor? Pretty much. Oh, as a single this woman. is
1: Again, we have to make certain assumptions because we're not 100% yes. sure, but this would be the most common reason for this. This would be wow. the most simple explanation. And as we know from Occam's Razor, the simplest. Please
0: explain Occam's razor to me.
1: The simplest explanation is normally the correct one.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. If I was in the business of making money, which as a sailor, we're known to put our money into a depreciating asset. Yes. I would have gotten in the business of making pedotube covers at this point, And the marketing campaign would have been viral. In the 90s, maybe viral wasn't a word. but It
1: wasn't, no. Yeah.
0: I would have. This is where yeah. I would have made my millions.
1: We could have put a WASP brand on it. We could have called it WASP covers.
0: Not that we wanted to profit off the death of other people, we wanted to prevent.
1: You know, all of the rules that we have and and the procedures that we have, and I I like to say, and if you listen to this podcast, you've heard it before, everything we do is written in blood. There is nothing that we do accidentally. No procedure
0: was designed before it became an issue. Pretty
1: Pretty much all the major emergency stuff we do is reactive it's it was designed after the fact to prevent what already happened i don't love that about aviation but sometimes you don't know what you don't know so once you see it happen you go okay we need to fix this and in this case it took two decades because almost every crash is a learning moment however i found this specifically because i'm here and i wrote it because i'm here Okay. So I looked at it. I up.
0: wondered if it was location-based. It's
1: location-based. I like to give a personal, put a personal touch or some kind of a geographic touch on, Yeah. you know, where I am, what's going on at the time. So I'm going to read my sources. Ready. The official Dominican Aviation Authority accident report. I translated it to English. I read it. Wikipedia, to which I donate. The University of, I'm going to get this wrong, Bielefeld, cockpit voice recorder transcript. A university took the time to transcribe the cockpit voice recorder an article from the independent called crash plane may not have been serviced and another article from the wall street journal called german tourist plane crashes 189 feared dead and those are the sources i used so thank you so much for being on callie i really appreciate it your reactions were golden and hopefully we can do it again
0: that was so much fun oh my god i loved that